Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Lots of times we're after that hot real estate market, but the question we have is when is hot too hot? That's what we'll talk about today on the Real Estate Guys radio show. When the housing market crashed in 2008, San Antonio led the way in appreciation and cash flow. Would you like to have a strong, reliable investment that performs in both up and down markets? Cash flow is the key to successful investing and we have tons of positive cash flow properties for our ATW investors. Come see why the Milken Institute rated San Antonio the number one economy in the United States and why San Antonio is the only major city in the country to have a AAA bond rating. ATW Investments can teach you strategies for building strong, secure wealth with investments starting at $5,000. ATW's patented, proven, and powerful system will do all the hard work for you. ATW is where the perfect market meets the perfect strategy and produces the perfect results in your portfolio. To get started, go to the resource section of the Real Estate Guys website or email us at contact at atw-investments.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Joining me, as usual, co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. And this week, we also have the man we call the godfather of real estate who's been investing in seven different decades, Bob Helms. Great to be here. You know, we're always looking out at the horizon of real estate markets and uh, just had an opportunity a couple weeks back to be with a whole bunch of great investors for our Dallas field trip. We love to go into markets and kick the dirt, meet the local providers, see a lot of properties, see a lot of the drivers and what's going on in the market. And uh, my goodness, Dallas is hot. Yeah, it is. You know, it's really interesting because we've been doing this trip to Dallas for at least five or six years now. And of course, during that period of time, it's changed a lot. The economy has changed a lot. You know, we were coming out of the Great Recession. We were at the bottom. The stock market was 6,000 and nobody was lending. And there was all kinds of change going on. And Dallas had really been kind of a ho-hum market prior to the crash. And then coming out of the crash, it looked like it was really well positioned. Of course, here we are five years later looking back at it, and it's done quite well. And the big question going in was, has it done so well that the opportunity's gone, and how do you know? Right. In fact, as we got talking to providers, and just for those of you that may not be on the real estate guy's vernacular, here's the deal. We call someone a provider who is a person or company that can help you execute your real estate dreams, ambitions, and strategies, meaning a real estate broker, mortgage professional, turnkey operator, developer, anyone who has inventory or can help you get into a real estate deal. And in our world, we call those people providers because they're providing services to us. And one of the reasons we've not done the Dallas field trip for the last couple of years is the providers have said, hey, we are having a really hard time getting inventory. There's not a lot available and properties are selling quickly. So one of the things is real estate investors, depending on what you're investing in, certain asset classes like single family houses tend to have competition other than just real estate investors. In fact, in many markets and a lot of the submarkets we saw on the Dallas field trip, the primary buyer is not an investor of many single family houses, but an owner occupant. And an owner-occupant generally will pay more for a property, but they also want the property right away. They want it to close in a timely manner because they're selling a property or moving out of an apartment or a job transfer or something like that. Investors think differently. On this trip, we saw a lot of multifamily. We actually looked at commercial and retail as well. And those are different markets for investors because the primary purchaser is a real estate investor or a company that's going to occupy a building. Well, in the case of single family, as we're looking out there, many of the houses are being snapped up by owner occupants, which perhaps means there's less opportunity for investors. And that's actually posed, you know, a bit of a problem because in the beginning, you know, nobody was buying and then the hedge funds were gathering up their war chests and they entered into the market. Mom and pop investors were still to a large degree recovering from what had gone on in 2008. Lenders were not really very friendly to investors early on. You know, if you recall, the GSEs, Fannie and Freddie, decided to go from the 10 loan limit per uh, investor to uh, down to four. And then they realized, well, shoot, that was stupid because now the people who are most likely to buy into the distress and help solve the problem, we just curtailed their purchasing power. So they lifted that back up again to 10, and that took a little while to wind its way through the system. Meanwhile, the economy was working on recovering, and especially Dallas. I mean, Dallas, you know, you look at these diverse drivers that make a market strong, and uh, one of the kicks we've been on for a long time is really understanding the difference between what's real and what's not real. And when it comes to rental properties, 
what's real is income. I mean, that's what makes it real. And the problem that you get in some of these markets is you get a bunch of houses built on spec and then they sit there empty. Investors come by them hoping to sell them down the road to somebody else for more. And the challenge is there isn't a long line of home buyers to actually take up those homes. But as Robert just mentioned, in the Dallas marketplace, you're seeing a large number of home buyers now coming back into the market. And that, that's beginning to be true in a lot of different markets, but it's particularly true in Dallas because Dallas is the largest financial market within the state of Texas, which has been over the last several years, the number one job creation market. So, you know, even though a lot of times when you look at the national stats, you're looking at what's going on in the macro picture, you know, how's U.S. real estate doing, which is an interesting factoid, but in terms of actually making an investment decision, doesn't mean anything at all. It doesn't. All real estate is local. And let's talk about a hot market for a minute, because what are the things that tell us a market is strong? We look at things like price and where the price is going and the trends of prices in an area. But price isn't enough because who's the buyer? To your point, Russ, if the buyer's a hedge fund or an investor and they're just driving up the price based on speculation, that's not enough information. We also look at days on market. So one of the things we look at to gauge the heat of a marketplace is how long does it take to sell the properties? If they're selling in 20 minutes, that's a pretty hot market. If they're taking a year, it's the best gauge of what's going on. The secondary question is, who's the buyer? Who's pushing it? Who's driving it? Are these homeowner occupants? Are these properties that are being used as rental properties? Our listeners primarily are investors. That's their concern. That's what they're looking for. And what we found in the last couple of years in Dallas is that that inventory has been extremely tight. What we saw on this trip was new construction everywhere. Commercial construction, new freeways, new roads, new infrastructure, many new housing developments. The thing that can indicate the strength of a market is the vibrancy of the buyers. Do you have multiple offers? We saw many instances where the providers were telling us, oh yeah, we're getting multiple offers, four, five, six, eight, ten multiple offers. We had Michael Becker with us, who was on the show last week. Michael was with us for the entire Dallas field trip, and he's a commercial lender, but he also buys properties and syndicates apartment deals. In fact, we went to see one of his buildings, a 260-unit complex, and they are seeing a very short period of time on the market and multiple offers for most of what comes on. Because the apartment sector is strong, then there's a lot of buyers for apartments, you don't think that something that's going to sell for 10 or 15 or $20 million is going to have a line of buyers out the door, but today it does. Well, especially in today's environment, because you've had the Federal Reserve printing so much money and putting it out into the system, and so many people out there starved for yields because bonds don't pay anything. And where do these big institutions go that are looking to get some yield on their capital, whether it's a pension fund or a hedge fund or, you know, some large institutional life insurance company? These buyers that are buying these these uh, apartment buildings are, are looking for yield. And, and of course, it's been a proven commodity. You know, we've had a largely a growing renter nation. You know, we have more people entering the rental pool than entering the home buyer pool. That's beginning to shift a little bit in certain places, which, you know, is something that you have to take a look at. But the point is, is that when you're looking at a marketplace and you start to see a market move, and Dallas is a particular case in point, just because it had so many years of not really being an appreciating market. Imagine if you're a home buyer or you're a renter there and you're thinking, hey, there's no hurry to get into a property. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, I'll buy one next year or the year after. And all of a sudden you start seeing, gee, that house went up twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 last year. I've never seen that before. You know, I've been in California. I've been in other markets where the buyers all of a sudden, they get this sense of urgency, like I better get in. This market's running away from me. And it, then the market begins to pick up momentum. And there's a point in time when a market starts to get hot, where it goes from being hot on fundamentals, meaning rising income, rising rents, real demand to where people see the trend and they start jumping in and chasing the trend. And the big question you always have to ask yourself is, in any particular hot market, what's driving it? And did I miss the fundamentals? And am I chasing the trend? Or is there still wind underneath the sails that I can ride this thing for a little while? Stock market investors are either fundamental investors who are looking at the actual companies and what they're doing and the direction they're heading and their business plans and their markets, or they look at technical analysis, which has nothing to do with what the company's doing or who they are. It has everything to do with how the market is moving the price and the volume of their shares. 
in the real estate market, we mostly look at fundamentals. We want to make sure the drivers, what we call sustainable drivers, are there. Employment, industry, diversity, and new build, and all of that lends us to believe that there's more reason people will be coming in the future, and it'll be stable, and we'll have what we call durability of rent. But what Russ is talking about is some of the technical analysis of real estate. When all It looks like just, oh my goodness, look at the chart. Housing prices are going up. Sales are going up. Inventory is dwindling. It may be time to get in or it may be time to get out. And so there's a couple of things. And this came up on this trip as people were saying, well, gosh, it seems like the market is strong. We learned about submarkets where rents have appreciated 8, 10, 12% in 12 months. Now, there are markets like San Francisco and Tokyo where that may happen regularly, but that's not a Dallas phenomenon, right? That's telling us that the rental market's being squeezed. Then we saw a sub-market in greater Dallas-Fort Worth that had appreciated price-wise nearly 30% in a year. I don't know if we've ever been able to say that about a Dallas sub-market. I mean, Dallas did not go crazy in the run-up last time around, and it also did not fail and slide into the mud like a lot of markets that had gone up did. It was just kind of plodding along. And now we've seen a couple of years of pretty slow, steady, stable growth, and it's starting to get hot. And there are markets where stuff is on the market literally for 48 hours. We were in a neighborhood where there's a lot of for sale signs. It's one of the things we have you look at. A lot of for sale signs in a market can mean distress. Everyone's trying to get out. You know, last one that leaves, turn the lights off. But it also can mean that people are taking advantage of the market. And that was the case in this sub-market. In fact, I know some folks in Dallas who put their house on the market recently. And their reason was they didn't really need to move. They were thinking about moving sometime in the next year or two. They're empty nesters. They have a big house. They're happy where it is. But, you know, they don't need that much house. Well, all of a sudden, because the market is as strong as it is, they said, hey, we might as well, you know, see what we can get. That's the whole point of understanding not just the charts. If I just look at the charts and I see that average time on the market is down, prices are up, rents are up, there's strong demand, that doesn't tell me enough because of what we're talking about. Who is the buyer? We saw hedge funds come into lots of markets. This is a market where those hedge funds came in. One of our providers on the trip actually works with a couple of hedge funds. Now, that hedge fund business has slowed down a little bit, and that's for a variety of reasons. I don't know that it's just because they think the market's tapped out. There's all kinds of things going on in that arena. But what we're seeing in at least the market that we saw on the field trip was real buyers, Real owner occupants buying houses, qualifying based on their income, and buying a home to live in. Speaking of heat of the market, the people that you mentioned who sold that house, how long did it take them to sell that house, Robert? Uh, it was just a day and a half. Yeah. That's an indication of what's going on in the marketplace, regardless of the price level. So when is a market too hot? That's what we're talking about today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beerbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the infinite banking concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website, www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is www.beerbank.com. Memphis, Tennessee is a market that delivers in more ways than one. As home to FedEx, Memphis is one of the largest distribution hubs in the world. That means working class jobs. No wonder Memphis is one of the best cash flow real estate markets in America. And the guy in Memphis who can deliver great affordable cash flow turnkey properties is Terry Kerr at Mid-South Home Buyers. Contact Terry through the resource section at realestateguysradio.com. And be sure to order Terry's tips for turnkey rental property investing. It's free. Just send your request to turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. That's turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. 
Hello, this is Dave Leniger, co-founder of REMAX International. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show, whether you're listening on the radio or on the podcast. We appreciate it. We're talking today about a hot real estate market. We love when we get into a market right before it's hot and right through the heat. And the big question is, when is it too hot? And that's what we're talking about now. We had a really great time with all the folks that came out to the Dallas field trip. Had a nice, big, full bus full. And uh, my goodness, met some uh, listeners that have been listening for a long time and some newer listeners and saw some old friends as well. And uh, this market has changed, and it's strong. It's really strong. It's not the only strong market, though. In fact, uh, just think about the markets that we've been in over the years and when they've gotten hot. I remember going to Sacramento, California uh, many, many years ago. We took a whole bunch of students in hundreds and hundreds of duplexes, fourplexes, single-family houses that uh, we were pointing people to. And uh, the next year, Sacramento became the number one appreciating market in the United States. So that was really great in terms of market timing. But we watched that market shift a lot. We did the same thing in Las Vegas. That was an interesting market to see as rents were going up, prices were going up, days on market were going down. I think that, you know, the comment about Las Vegas is interesting. And even going back to Sacramento, because we're at a point right now where we've been through enough. I mean, not like Bob, who's been through seven decades, but... You know, at least I'm at a point where I've, I've seen this happen before. And I, you know, and now because we travel around and we look at these different markets, we can contrast them. You know, the very first time I went to Dallas, I said, gee, Dallas reminds me of LA 30 years ago. Right. Because it was all sprawled out. It seemed like there was land forever, but it had this huge economic drivers. You had people moving there. You had all this infrastructure being built. And now you start seeing these cities begin to blend one right into another. And the only way you know you've changed is because there's a sign that tells you. Otherwise, there's really not any open space. There's still open space in Dallas, clearly not in Los Angeles. But, you know, you, have, you look at that when a market starts to have that kind of attraction. Now, you go back and look what we saw in Las Vegas, for example. In Las Vegas, you had uh, real estate just kind of nationally became the hot thing, right? The stock market dot com thing blew up. Fed printed a bunch of money. Investors were running around looking for what to do with it. It all landed in mortgage-backed securities. I was in the mortgage business back then, and you could give a loan to anybody for almost any reason. And people were using all that free money to go buy houses. The difference is who the people who were buying the houses in Las Vegas were people who were buying the houses, speculating that I'm going to buy the house, and in a year or two years or three years, I'm going to sell it for more than I bought it for. And meanwhile, there were not enough people actually wanting to rent it but when they went to go sell, the problem is there weren't enough home buyers wanting to buy it. And so if you didn't have a renter in it, no investor wanted to buy it. And if you didn't have a home buyer wanting to buy it, you didn't have an exit strategy. And the only answer when you don't have a line of buyers is to lower the price. And that's exactly what happened. And so that was an indication, gee, the market is hot. And I'm sure as that happened, you began to see the prices going down. You began to see the days on market going up. And a lot of that was probably very predictable just by having watched who the buyers were and then what they were doing with the properties when they owned them. Well, that's a big key because we saw that right at the beginning. What happened was there was growth and it was real growth. It was demand based on jobs because that's one of the things we look at in market analysis. And builders, to their credit, were looking ahead a year, two years, three years, acquiring land, getting permits, new housing starts were up, and they built all these beautiful new developments that were originally populated by owner-occupants who were moving to Las Vegas with jobs. But because of the craze of real estate investing, it was a place that people liked to go to, and it was a place where houses were relatively affordable, and a typical quote-unquote real estate investor, they may not have really been a real estate investor, but they flew into Vegas for the weekend, blew all their money Friday night, and said, well, let's do something on Saturday, honey, let's go around and look at houses, and they'd go into these beautiful developments. Many of the buyers were from California, where prices were three hundred, six hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000, and comparable houses in really nice new subdivisions were $150,000, $200,000, and they go, man, look at this. So these developers who had set out to provide inventory to owner-occupants, they didn't really care who they sold to. You didn't have to be an owner-occupant to buy, and because, as you mentioned, Russ, the loan programs were anybody with a pulse. So there were loans available for non-owner-occupied, second home loans, investor loans, and a lot of investors bought for speculation and appreciation. They weren't even worried about renting. A lot of folks bought houses they never rented. We had students bought houses, never rented them in two years, sold them at a profit, and made money. 
that's not a sustainable model. Well, I mean, you know, if you get in early, you can get away with that because if you get in and you catch a fundamental wave early, you can certainly do that. The thing is when a market begins to get hot, which is the topic of the show, at some point you approach that dividing line or that it crosses that line where all of a sudden it begins to be highly speculative and you have to question whether or not you're going to be able to get out. And if you have bought a property hoping to sell it later for more money, nothing wrong with that, right? We love that. But if that's your goal, you have to be prepared to stay in it for the long haul, especially when you're moving into a market that has already shown some development. It's already ripened a little bit. It doesn't mean you can't get in. It doesn't mean there isn't room. It just means you need to be aware, am I at the back end of a fundamental phase and the early end of a speculative phase? Or God forbid that you're on the back end of a speculative phase and you bought right at the very, very peak and now you, you know, you're going to take a ride down. If you don't have an income plan for that property that'll keep you in the game for five or 10 years till that market recovers, you're going to have a big problem. And of course, we saw a lot of that happen in 2008. So now now, as we're beginning to see markets heat up again, we just want to make sure that everybody who's out there getting all excited about real estate, and you should be, you should be very excited about real estate. It's been doing great, and there's a lot of markets that are doing really well for the right reasons. When real estate as a category gets hot, what happens is all markets start to rise, but they don't all rise for the same reasons. And really what we're trying to get you to understand is when you go into a market and it's a hot market, you need to look at what's underneath to make sure that you're buying into something that is sustainable. And the more mature that hotness is or that heat is, just make sure that you have a plan B that lets you stay in the game long term. The great news is today you've got super low interest rates It will give you a fighting chance of being able to stay in the game uh, a long time, even if your plan A is to, is to sell the property in three to five years for a profit. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. It's hard to figure out the answer to that question. It's easy to just say the market's strong and people are selling and let's get in and buy. And so many investors and would-be investors and newbie investors make this critical error. They think because the market is strong, it's going to be great. Just like in any market, whether it's the bond market, the stock market, the gold market, if you're chasing returns, you can get into trouble. Doesn't mean that every peak market or strong market is at the top. A lot of years we see opportunities that go for months and years where you can continue to make money, but you got to be watching the fundamentals. You have to study this stuff. Robert Kiyosaki always talks about the most important thing is your education and getting educated on what makes a market tick will pay you dividends for years. Ironically, Las Vegas is a great example of how easy money or inexpensive money doesn't necessarily work in your favor if you're not a learned, sophisticated investor. Here's what happens when you're buying non-commercial loans, when you're buying four units or less, you, the borrower, are the one who has to qualify for the property. You're the one they look at. When you buy things that are commercial loans, five units and up, the property is the primary thing they're concerned about. They want it to have some history, some occupancy. In other words, the very thing that those speculative buyers didn't have they were able to qualify for something, but there was no rental, and there never was one for many of them. It's why we didn't see huge distress in multifamily. There was distress in, in single family all over the place. There was some distress in multifamily, but it wasn't like it was in the single family market. And it's not because the $500 a month or $1,000 a month tenant was any stronger. They got hit by the downturn as well. It's because of what you just said. The original loan was made based on strong fundamentals and a rent roll, not on, hey, honey, this house looks like a lot for the money. Let's grab us one. Precisely. You know, one of the other things we can look back on in our history is what we saw happen in the Sacramento market. Uh, my daughter actually uh, owned a property in, in Sacramento, and she bought it when it was uh, selling for seven times rent. So let's talk about that for a minute. This is a figure that we use, a lot of metrics we use when we look at properties. And one of the simplest ones is called gross rent multiplier. And that's just looking at the relationship between the rent that comes in and the price of the property. So again, that's not taking into account expenses or taxes or special assessment districts or mortgage or leverage, any of that. It's just a quick look at what is the fundamental relationship between the rent of a property and what it's worth. So this was a two unit, it was a duplex in Sacramento. And she bought it for seven times rent. And then the market got hot. It went up. She refinanced it, pulled a bunch of equity out. The rents went up a little bit, then the price went way up again, and she was able to refinance and pull some equity out. The rents went up a little bit, and there was this growing gap between the rents going up and the price going up. And at the end, it was actually refinanced at 17 times gross. That's a clue. 
What that says is that the rent escalation is not keeping up with the price escalation. So think about that for a minute. Why would someone pay more money for a stream of income? It typically has to do with competition in the marketplace, demand for the stream of income. Now, in the commercial world, when we look at these 200, 300, 400 unit apartment buildings, office towers, etc., those are fairly sophisticated buyers who understand. And today we're seeing capitalization rates, another metric, cap rates, trending downward, meaning returns are less. That's not necessarily a bad sign. It doesn't mean the market's bad. And this is something you got to get your mind around. Cap rates going down simply means there's more money chasing return. There's more buyers for the property. We know that's true in the multifamily space all around the country and even other countries. We're seeing big demand for commercial properties that are stabilized. And of course, even more demand or, or maybe more interest in properties that aren't stabilized because then you can go in there and force some equity and get that stabilization to work in your favor. But when you're looking at an example like this one, the rents went up, like you said, a little because the market was strong, but the demand of investors, mostly mom and pop investors for little duplexes in Sacramento at that time, was strong. It wasn't all our fault. I know we were taking a lot of people up there, but the market was hot. The pricing escalated a lot faster than the fundamental rent. Right. And, and that's the sign that a market has gotten too hot for the wrong reasons. And so you just have to be very, very careful when that happens. To Bob's point earlier, had that been a commercial property when she went to refinance, she wouldn't have been able to do it. Right. Because the numbers wouldn't have made sense. But the lender didn't care because the lender was just packaging the paper up and selling it to Wall Street. The borrower needed to qualify on their own income, and so the property's income was kind of contributed, but it was more or less incidental to it. Whereas to Bob's point, had it been an apartment building, it would have had to qualify all by itself, and those numbers would have never flown. So there's a little bit of safety about being in the bigger classes of property. So, you know, without throwing out a rule of thumb, you know, seven times rent, that's a good number. That's usually pretty good. Right? It starts getting up to 12, 13, 14. You're starting to really push the outer limit, even with today's low interest rates. Now, you have to have some context there, too, because you can't just look at what the multiplier is, because a lot of that has to do with the profile of the property. In the hood, in C-class, in areas where you have to collect the rent with a gun, you see lower numbers. In beautiful pride of owners, property areas where the houses are great and most of them are owner occupants with a few rentals the multiplier is going to be higher so it's not enough to look at the multiplier it has to be in context but what russ's example is is the same market in the same tenant profile and the grocery multiplier jamming up out of sight yeah so that's not a red flag necessarily it's a yellow flag and means you need to take a look at it. you know if you've really been able to lower expenses and just just to back up a little bit you know you talked earlier about cap rate robert so you know you have your gross rents minus your expenses you get your net operating income and then your net operating income is how much cash you're getting back on the price of the property that's your capitalization rate or cap rate which does not take into consideration debt service so the noi on a property is before any payment of a loan what we're looking for is the operating metric of the property and its rents before any consideration of debt. So, you know, when you're comparing property A to property B, you don't take into consideration what financing structure buyer A or buyer B might use. You just look at how the property is operating and how much cash it's throwing off after operations. And then you can decide what kind of debt you can place on it based on what it can service. You probably should use that same methodology even when you're buying residential one to four or any property that's an income property. It's just a good metric. Now, Robert, you talked about how cap rates have come down, which means that pricing has been bid up. And one of the other things that facilitates that is not just a hot market, but cheap money. Because, you know, when you're doing the analysis, does it make sense for me to buy this property? If I can borrow money at 4% and it's a 6 or 7% cap building, I might go ahead and buy that. If all of a sudden interest rates were 6 or 7%, I might have to buy a 10 or 11% cap. Yep. And so I just don't have the, the room to bid the price up. So some of the price action we've seen in the multifamily space has been driven by declining interest rates. But now you've got interest rates down in the, the low fours, the threes, in some cases even into the twos. And you have to ask yourself, how low can they go? How much more can you push the price just based on cheap interest rate? And when you see that happening, again, it's another factor in a hot market. Is the market hot because of cheap money? Is the market hot because of a lot of speculation and people just bidding things up, which is, again, more likely to happen in residential one to four than it is in commercial? 
But it certainly happens in commercial too, because people can put in bigger down payments to make the cash flows if they think they're going to chase future growth and they're speculating. Is a hot market an opportunity? Is a hot market a sign that it's time to get out? That's what we're talking about today. We come back, we're going to play Real Estate Trivia next. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way for you to get everything you've dreamed of? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You too can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Creating Your Future, the 2016 Goals Retreat, taking place January 8th through 10th in beautiful San Diego, California. This unique weekend has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com and click events or call 888-489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track physically, spiritually, and financially. Attend the 2016 Goals Retreat on the second weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com and register why there's still early bird pricing. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723 today. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Better more download a podcast on real estate investing. Thanks for tuning into the show. Tell a friend about The Real Estate Guys. We're going to continue our discussion here on Hot Markets, one of our favorite topics, uh, in just a minute. First, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question in just a minute. I'm going to give you a question which has something to do with real estate. As soon as you think you know the uh, correct answer or just want to take a guess, send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. And if you're the first person with the right answer, you're going to want a copy of Second Chance, the great new book from Robert Kiyosaki. That can be yours. Last week on The Real Estate Guys, it was Ask the Lenders, a great show. We've been getting questions for Ask the Guys that had to do with loans. Russ and I are no longer really qualified to answer those questions. We're not keeping our thumbs on the pulse of the lending world, but we brought in uh, Graham Parham and Michael Becker. Graham, of course, residential uh, lender. Michael, a uh, commercial uh, lender. If you didn't hear that show, go back and, and hear it uh, last week. But here was our question. Where are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac headquartered? And the hint we gave was they are in two different places. People tend to group them together, but they're not. The answer is Fannie Mae is headquartered in Washington, D.C., although they also do have a facility in Reston, Virginia. Freddie Mac is located in Tyson Corner, Virginia. So there you go. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Hillcrest State Bank was the first bank ever to have a drive-up bank window, and they were located in Dallas, Texas. What year was that? What year was the first drive-up teller created? We know where, we just want to know when. If you know or want to take a guess, it's probably a matter of taking a guess since Hillcrest State Bank hasn't existed for many, many years. But they were the first with the drive-up bank window. When did that happen? Send your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Be sure to include your name and mailing address because if you're the winner, we're going to send you this big old heavy book called Second Chance by Robert Kiyosaki. That's today's real estate trivia question. 
We're talking about how to spot a hot market and more importantly, when to know if the fundamentals are there. Markets of all types, not just real estate, get hot based on a variety of factors. We're looking for a hot market that's hot for the right reasons. Yeah, the key word here is the hardest word to come up with, the hardest solution. It's sustainability. It isn't what is it today, it's how long is this going to last or is it going to improve or did I get here a week too late? Yeah, a lot of things to look at, right? For instance, a couple weeks ago, Dallas Field Trip, we were looking at this strong increase in prices in a lot of the markets and a strong increase in rents. Now, a lot of investors are thinking, man, did I miss it? Did I miss the market? And that's really what, what we're talking about. Did you miss the market? Is it too hot? Is it time to wait till it cools down and come in next cycle? But at the same time, what we saw was extraordinary in terms of the number of jobs being added and new housing rising up. If you study Dallas as a market, this is true for many of the big uh, metropolitan markets, they've done a really good job over the years of keeping up with demand. The demand-supply imbalance creates opportunity but can also create problems. We see that in some really strong markets where there's just not enough inventory. Now, if you don't fix that problem, the market's headed for, for bigger issues. If we look at the greater Fort Worth Dallas Metroplex, which is, you know, 6 million people, more than 6 million people, it involves a lot of submarkets. It's a very diverse economy. And because of that, we were looking at which are the industries that are growing. And the answer was just a ton. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things when you're trying to figure this out is you have to look at the market. Uh, and you have to look at the things outside the market that affect the market. And then you have to look at what's going on inside the market and into the submarket. So let me explain. So kind of the example that we use is if you were to own an apartment building and you had a target demographic that you were serving and you had one bedrooms, you had two bedrooms, you had three bedrooms, people who move in your one bedroom, maybe a single person, and then they get married and then they have a kid and then they move into a two bedroom and then they have a second kid and then they move into a three bedroom. But you can keep them all in your complex because you have the ability to move them around. So when you look at what's going on inside a marketplace, when a market is getting hot from the outside, meaning people are coming there, and Dallas is a great case in point, people are moving there, job, companies are moving there, jobs are being created there, infrastructure is being built to support all of that, and you begin to see that demand in the marketplace, uh, people who at one point were able to afford a certain area are no longer able to afford that area, and they have to move to a different sub-market within the greater marketplace. And so you can begin to identify those trends when you have that kind of even intra-market migration going on, that can be somewhat of a sustainable trend. So you can go into a big, big market like a Dallas or whatever big market you choose, and then you can identify those pockets of opportunity that are really being the beneficiary. Now, you know, you'll hear a lot of stuff economically about how the United States economy is weak. We're not creating very many jobs. You've got all of this maybe weakness going on at the macro level within the United States of America. But what markets are positioned to be the beneficiary of that. And that's one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about because when companies get squeezed, when people get squeezed in their budgets and they're trying to figure out a way to make it in a soft economy, they'll move. And when they move, where will they move? They're going to move to a business-friendly climate. They're going to move to a tax-friendly climate. They're going to move to a place that has all of the key infrastructure and lifestyle amenities that they want and are accustomed to, but they just pay less to have them. That happens to some marketplaces where you say maybe have a Detroit or some other market. California's got issues that are just not business friendly. And, and people and businesses flee those places and they land in places like Texas. And then they come in and then even within that market, when they arrive, they push people around inside the market to sub-markets. And so that's a fundamental driver of demand that can help make a sub-market get hot and that'll manifest in how long it takes to rent a property and how quickly a property sells. Because, you know, we're not just talking about buying a property low and selling it high. That's not the only manifestation of heat or hotness in a marketplace. And so if you're buying into a rental property, we've talked a lot about how to gauge whether the income is sustainable. But the income is also driven by demand. And where does demand come from? People and businesses trying to get in and find a place. And so you have to be very careful. And this is why we do the, these boots on the ground thing, because you, it's really hard to pick all this stuff up on the internet or on Google Maps or on reading charts and graphs about what happened last quarter or last year, or year over year. I mean, sometimes you just have to get boots on the ground, put your thumb on the pulse of the marketplace, drive around and look, 
talk to people, man on the street interviews, and get some anecdotal information that kind of either supports or rebuts some of this uh, macro data that you've taken a look at. But when you understand that basic concept of what makes a market move, it's demand. And then married to that or inside of the demand concept is the idea of capacity to pay. Well, capacity to pay is typically jobs and affordable financing. Well, we know we've got affordable financing. So the real question is, is what's happening in the local job market? Right. And it's a trend, too. You look at a snapshot of today. Today, we have whatever unemployment we have. We have whatever new housing starts we have. But you're also looking at the trend. Which way is it going? One of the things we've seen in the Dallas Metroplex, and this is true in Houston, is a record number of starts in new apartments. So apartments are being built. And that's in answer to the jobs that are being created. In fact, we saw several of these new headquarters, right? Liberty Mutual is coming in. State Farm has a big old campus. The Toyota headquarters is coming in. And these places have lots and lots of employees who are moving from other states and other cities. They have to live somewhere. So if I'm in the development business, I want to look at who those people are, what their level of income is, and therefore what housing can they afford. Do I need to build single-family houses? Do I need to build apartments? Do I need to build below-market rent units? I mean, there's a lot going on. And of course, it's never a static market. It's always changing. And your mission as a real estate investor is to figure out which direction is it healthy. Anytime a market is going up, it's on the way to the next downturn. Does that mean it's that next month? No, it could be years from now. And again, all markets are not created equal. There is a lot of distress still in the United States of America and other countries as well. But within many places, there are shining stars. And that's what you're looking for. Money goes somewhere. People go somewhere. Overall, they're going to move for a lot of the reasons Russ was talking about. I'm going to move for a better job. I'm going to move for a better quality of life. So there's so many issues that fit into this. We're talking about when a market gets hot and when it's too hot. And the more we come back, you're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Elms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hello, Real Estate Guys listeners. This is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. I want to talk to you for a minute about a handful of properties that we are selling right now in Metro Atlanta for less than $30,000. That's right. These are houses that we bought and have already fixed and have placed tenants in these properties, and we are now selling them for less than $30,000. These are properties that are not in the hood. They are not bad areas, and we've got a very high demand for tenants in this location. And right now we are selling these things for less than $30,000. Most of these properties are getting between five and $600 in rent per month. So your ROI is through the roof. On top of that, if you have interest, we would owner finance you on these deals as well. Call me today, 770-924-5450 or email me at ken at gainvesting.com. Hi, this is Kim Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Woman, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. We're talking about uh, hot markets. I spent a wonderful weekend in the hot market of Dallas, and nothing like going out and seeing a market. If you want to see a market up close and personal with The Real Estate Guys, whether you're actually interested in the market we're going to or not, just going on the trip does a couple of things. It lets you see how professional investors view a market and what they look for, and it lets you get around other investors. We had so many great people on this trip. In fact, 
I would say this trip, we had more sophisticated seasoned investors than we do on many trips. You're certainly welcome to come on a Real Estate Guys field trip if you know nothing about real estate. It really is one of our most introductory things to do. But this time we had more than half of the people looking to make the jump from single family to multifamily. So cool to do that. You can find out about where we're going next at realestateguysradio.com. Click on events. You have talked quite a bit about sub-markets, and it may be obvious, but a real estate market is really a sub-market, meaning you can't say Dallas is good, Houston is good, Atlanta is good, Los Angeles. Within any of those markets are the individual neighborhoods that perform better than others. That is the entire key, ladies and gentlemen, to investing in real estate is finding the sub-markets that are strong. So I think that's an important uh, concept. But another important concept we talk about on, on all of our field trips is this. When you look at a real estate market, anywhere on planet Earth, ask yourself this, are the current stakeholders in the market, the people who are already here, real estate owners, restaurants, businesses, the current stakeholders, are they bullish? Are they bearish? In many markets today, we see the current stakeholders trying desperately to get out. In Texas, we didn't see that. We saw people doubling down. We saw new businesses coming in. But it's just a great question to ask. Are the people who currently have a vested interest in the marketplace looking to do more or looking to do less? One of the interesting things to me was to look at the excitement of the providers that we had there. These are the people who live in this marketplace, know it intimately. They know every sub-market. They know every piece. Every single one of those people was animated, excited, even though it was a tough market, tough meaning, uh, not very much inventory available, did you see anybody who was turned off because of that? Well, it was enthusiasm and frustration. I mean, they can't get inventory. Now, the providers we work don't just rely on the MLS. They all have great inroads into finding inventory other people can't find. It's why we were able to do a trip like this. And again, a real estate guy's trip is not designed to sell real estate. It's designed to educate you. And no real estate is allowed to be sold during the trip. People are able to meet providers. And if they gel with somebody and they like what they do, then after the trip, that's up to them, right? But the whole premise of our trip is educate for effective action. But you're right, to see the providers really enthused about where the market is. I mean, several of them said, I've been here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I've never seen the market this strong. Now, again, that's part of the concern. That could mean it's too much. And your mission is a real estate. We're not here to give you the answer. We're here to have you think about it so you're not caught in a market that goes the wrong way at the wrong time. You know, you were you were talking about the stakeholders. And if you follow the news like I do and you hear all of the political blathering about, you know, American infrastructure and how it's falling apart and how we need to do all this stuff. And then you go to you go to Dallas and you look at the infrastructure, which is in great condition. And on top of that, it's all being upgraded and expanded. So one of the biggest stakeholders there are is the local government. Most local governments are broke. Most local governments don't have the money to make these kind of infrastructure investments. And so when you're looking around to pick a market, you know, if it's showing signs of being hot and then you've got these stakeholders who are putting in major components of infrastructure, State Farm expanding their headquarters, you know, Liberty Mutual ex expanding theirs. You've got the, the local governments building out freeways and the airport continuing to grow. I mean, it's just you, you begin to see that you're like, wow, that that's pretty impressive. That tells me that people who spend a lot of time thinking about what's coming, they're preparing for growth. And obviously, as a real estate investor, you want to put yourself in the path of progress and you want to participate in that growth. So the great news is a lot of this stuff is not secret. It's not hard to see. You just have to know what you're looking at. And to your point, Robert, one of the great things that I think people learn and what I've learned from doing these field trips over the years is how to go into a market with a different set of eyeballs and see things that probably a lot of people in the local market drive by all the time. I mean, we had a couple of people on the trip who were locals and then, you know, the feedback we always get every time this happens is, you know, I've lived here my whole life and I saw my market through a completely different lens just by riding around on the bus and hearing what everybody was seeing and asking. And, and when you hear the way somebody, say, from the East Coast or New York sees it or the way somebody from Des Moines, Iowa sees it and they see it differently. I mean, they see it completely differently. And when you get that 360 perspective, it just helps you be a smarter investor. And there is no way on the internet. We love the internet, right? I mean, some of you are listening to us right now on, on a podcast. We love it, but it's just not the same as being in a market. Well, on this very trip, a guy came up and brought me a chart, right? And said, have you seen this? And it was the fact that the uh, rents were trending down. And I pointed to the bottom and I see copyright 2006. 
he pulled up a chart on Dallas on the online that was eight years old, right? That's the problem with the internet. You know, it's it's a great start. It's a great place to begin your research. It's certainly not enough. You got to get out there and, and kick the dirt. And even more so, we always talk about personal investment philosophy, who you are first, then market second. You got to find a market that will deliver. Third is your team. You got to have a team that knows the market. Your team in, a, in an out-of-state or out-of-country market is always going to know more than you do. You got to be able to rely on those guys. Uh, one final point I think we got to talk about when a market is strong, it's temporary. When a market's bad, it's most likely temporary. So it's not just about, is the market hot? I should buy and then I'm going to be good forever. You want to make sure you buy the right thing. In a strong, hot market, almost anything can perform. We saw some areas where the rents were not keeping pace with the prices, mostly owner-occupant markets. And while you might be able to make great appreciation over some period of time, that may not be the right thing to invest in. So we talked about, you know, where is the sweet spot in pricing? At the very lowest end, you have a lot of management and a lot of cost and a lot of transition in terms of your tenant base. At the upper end, yeah, you might get someone to stay in your house for five years and pay a nice rent, but that could change uh, immediately. We kind of like somewhere in the middle, right, where you can get a property that works today in terms of its numbers. And even if things were to get bad, someone still needs a roof over their head and they'll figure out a way to get your rent paid. You might have to come down on it a little bit, but you know, you're looking at the product type, not just the strength of the market. One more point on the curve, looking at the sustainability issue and looking at the stakeholders and how they're viewing it. There's a new stakeholder that we saw. We drove by a place a guy named Warren Buffett had put together that was the most enormous furniture mart I'd ever seen. More than a million square feet on the showroom floor, 20 football fields, plus even more space in the back where they kept the boxes of furniture. It was amazing. It was surrounded by a lot of new housing developments going on. Do you think that Warren thinks and that company thinks that the growth is over? that we're gonna stop. I'm guessing not, and he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah. So there you have it, is a market too hot? Well, it's up to you to figure that out. The great news is that markets leave clues. Let's be excited when we have hot markets, but let's make sure we're investing for the right reasons. Next week on The Real Estate Guys, we're gonna help you get in touch with your inner investor and talk about your personal investment philosophy. So whether you're new to real estate investing or you just need a zigzag, would say a checkup from the neck up, we'll talk to you then. And until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.